Hello, and welcome to the Talking Precision Medicine podcast. In this series, we sit down with experts on the application of AI and big data analytics in the drug discovery space. Our guests are innovators, business decision makers, and thought leaders at the intersection of data and therapeutics. We discuss the promise, practice, challenges, and myths of AI and precision medicine. This show is brought to you by Genialis, and Raphael, its CEO, is your host. Genialis is focused on data integration and predictive modeling of disease biology to help accelerate the discovery and de-risk the development of novel therapeutics. Welcome to episode 25 of Talking Precision Medicine. Earlier this summer, Genialis CEO Raphael Rosengarten sat down with Peter Vrains and Hitesh Mehta, co-founders of Neutromics. Neutromics is developing a next-generation lab-on-skin a wearable device for continuous monitoring of health-critical biomarkers. Let's get right to it. I'm here today with co-founders of a great new medtech company out of Australia called Neutromics. Peter Vrains and Hitesh Mehta are co-founders and listed as co-CEOs. Peter, Hitesh, thank you for joining me. Um, You can draw straws to see who goes first, but tell us what's Neutromics all about. Okay, so at Neutromics, we're looking to revolutionize healthcare with a, a brand new diagnostics platform, a lab on the skin approach. Our, our mission really, we're three and a half years old. Our mission is all about a world with zero preventable deaths due to a lack of timely molecular data. So the challenge we've seen over and over again in healthcare is clinicians are trying to help diagnose a patient or treat a patient. And they're relying on a single point in time blood draw or a single point in time information. It's limited and they have to make clinical decisions fairly quickly. So often there's a significant lag time where they don't have the blood work or the necessary information in front of them. It may be that they need frequent draws of blood to understand the clinical situation. So that often results in severe complications and mortality for their patients as well. So that's the challenge we started out with. We originally started out with looking at a prevention angle of chronic diseases, but along the way, the, the technology that we've been building and the team that we've, we've pulled together is, is quite amazing. And the technology gives us the capabilities to measure, in theory, any molecular target just under the surface of the skin. So we're starting with a precision medicine approach around therapeutic drug monitoring as our first market that we want to enter. And then we want to expand beyond that over time into safety of drugs that are dosed and into uh, also chronic kidney disease and diabetes over time as well. And just to orientate the listeners here. So the product that we're talking about is a patch. It's a wearable device, medtech device. And the best way to describe it is that it's like, uh, it's similar to a continuous glucose monitor, but instead of just being able to measure one thing, i.e. glucose, this is a platform sensor that can measure any molecular target. So that's why we call it the evolution of continuous glucose monitoring. So CGMs have revolutionized diabetes to be, I think, $4 billion industry, but yeah, and they've been out in the market for 10 years or so. Uh, we have a technology that can monitor proteins, hormones, drugs, metabolites. So we can go into spaces that CGMs uh, can't. That's an enzymatic sensor. That's the, the class of sensor. So they can just do some metabolites. 
Whereas we have, we can do a whole broad spectrum of different molecular targets. So that really opens up this big blue ocean opportunity for us to go into spaces where current technologies just can't go. So we're all about continuous molecular monitoring. We, we term our CMM, continuous molecular monitoring. And it's really exciting. Um, you know, anywhere where, where information is required quickly is a space that we can play. So th this concept of lag times, which is a real big issue for clinicians, um, it hampers critical decision-making. You can imagine you want to treat a patient, diagnose a patient, determine the best course of action, yet you've got to take a blood draw, you've got to send that to the lab, you've got to wait. That lag time is really problematic. It's always been there. But you, do, you can imagine there's lots of scenarios from triaging patients to patients coming in um, in critical condition where there's a golden hour, sepsis, you know, a, a disease that works very quickly. There's a whole range of different areas where instant molecular information is highly, highly valued. We've just never had the ability to do it before. So this really opens up some, some doors to solving some of the big problems that we've always faced in healthcare many around precision medicine, um, you know, therapeutic drug, it's hit on therapeutic drug monitoring before, pretty widely recognized as a problem area. You know, vancomycin, our first market, 60% of the doses of vancomycin don't get into the therapeutic range. This is a drug that's dosed one in five people in the States, patients get dosed with vancomycin, very, very common. And yet 60% of the doses don't actually hit the therapeutic range. The 6.3 million patients get vancomycin every year in the US, 10 to 20% get a toxic dose. And often uh, that will lead to an acute kidney injury. It's one of the top 10 killers in hospital, but is also a major contributor to chronic kidney disease. So there's, there's poorer patient outcomes when you can't do this properly. And there's a massive cost associated with it as well. So so that's just one example, but that's an example of what we can do with this technology by measuring molecular targets continuously and in real time, we can solve those sorts of problems. That's fascinating. I have a lot of different angles of questions and we can, you know, hopefully we'll get to as many of these as, as possible. Where I'd like to start though, because the thing that strikes me is just how broad the applicability is. And so, you know, the question that you, you mentioned that vancomycin monitoring is your, your sort of your beachhead. How do you think about focusing and, and drafting a roadmap, given that it could be a lot of things. The analogy is Amazon started as a bookstore. It sells everything now. If vancomycin is your bookstore, what's going to be your DVDs or CDs, you know, the next thing they, they sold? Yeah, it's that, a great question. And we spent a lot of time on this last year as a team. So we evaluated over 110 different targets and opportunities and spoke to a lot of clinicians to evaluate, you know, what's the clinical need for monitoring these particular targets? What's the utility in the decision-making? What degree of the problem can we help solve? How much consensus is there that these are the drugs or the metabolites or proteins that actually have to be measured and matter? Um, and the market opportunities. And what really was a pull for the first market from the clinicians was around therapeutic drug monitoring of vancomycin for these critical diseases. Sepsis, you know, as Peter mentioned, fast-moving disease, MRSA, any gram-positive infection that you've got is critical and life-threatening. And you have to manage it in a very, very fast time period. So 
a lot of patients, 6.3 million, as Peter mentioned, get vancomycin dosing for more than one day in hospitals in the US. And if you get it wrong, you know, if you're suboptimal and you're underdosing, you could have an out of control infection. And that's going to result in increased length of stay for the patient, uh, increased costs for the hospital, increased risk of side effects and comorbidities. And if you overdose, you have AKI and uh, nephrotoxicity events that occur. So it was a clear pull because the way it's do- done today, the way it's dosed today is just so abysmal. In fact, so, so much so that the guidelines changed last year to support area under the curve-based dosing for vancomycin specifically. But 84% of the hospitals in the US are still not compliant with those guidelines. The technology isn't there to support them. And then beyond that, vancomycin is one drug, but there's over 40 other drugs that can result in AKI, in nephrotoxicity. You know, that's what led us to then define our second market opportunity as really safety for drug dosing, be it oncology drugs, be it um, diabetes drugs, for that market. And, and the tie-in from, from AKI, uh, as Peter was referring to, was to a broader market condition or, or chronic disease condition called chronic uh, kidney disease which is double the size of the diabetes market today. There's over 800 million people who are in some stage of chronic kidney disease globally. Mm-hmm. And it's largely a data-free zone. They have no monitoring support. They have no technology to help manage and, and make sure that they don't progress to a worse condition uh, mm-hmm. along the stages. Yeah, I mean, I could see this changing the way we think about doing PKPD monitoring in patients the entirety of phase one clinical trials could be upended if we actually knew how much of those doses were getting to patients as opposed to just being washed out in the system. There's also opportunities to actually co-develop drugs as well. So drugs that traditionally wouldn't get through the regulatory path because they've got high toxicity or there is issues because of the way they're dosed. We're a companion product for drugs like that. And so we can assist pharma companies to actually develop drugs that can be administered safely because we can monitor it in real time and continuously. It changes the game in a number of areas, not just you know diagnosing patients or looking for biomarkers or quickly or but but even in drug development, there, there's a there's a great utility. Mm-hmm. And like you hit on Raphael, then clinical trials. You know, this mm-hmm. is an area we're just starting to explore now. The ability to be able to uh, produce real-time data on a cohort in a clinical trial for drug levels or biomarkers is really, really valuable. And it's just, yeah, it's an area where we're literally starting to have conversations now with Mm -hmm. different pharma companies to explore those areas. I want to learn more about the product itself. You said lab on skin, which I, I love that. I haven't heard that phrase before. Tell us a bit about the patch. How big is it? What does it do? And then the follow-up is I'd like to understand what exactly are the data collected and where do those go? What happens with the data? Who gets to see it? How does a physician course correct based on what the sensor is seeing? Yeah, so the, the product is two technologies coming together. Uh, one is a micro needle array. And what that is, is tiny little, little needles, less than one millimeter, a number of those on a patch. So if you imagine a patch, and there's a, you know, maybe uh, eight uh, different uh, tiny little needles. And now because these needles are so small, they're pain-free. They actually don't reach the nerve endings in the skin. But what it does do, it gives us access to interstitial fluid or IS, ISF, which is just below the skin surface. And our bodies are bathed in this uh, ISF. In fact, we have about three times more ISF in our bodies than we do 
blood. And there's a good correlation for most of the analytes we're interested in between blood and ISF. So that's the biofluid that, that we measure in. It's the same biofluid that CGMs use. And then we've got really what we call the jewel of the crown, the heart of our technology is the biosensor platform. And basically all that is, is a, a coating of a sensor on the end of those needles. So essentially each of those needles, uh, we can have a different sensor. So in, in biosensing, the, the holy grail for decades has been a platform technology that can measure anything. So this is not a new concept. This, is, this has been around for a long time. And the industry is full of chemists and engineers like myself, I'm a chemical engineer, and we get trained and we look at things in a certain way through a certain lens. No one has been able to crack this problem, this long-term problem. And it wasn't until Professor Kevin Plaxko from UCSB about 15 years ago started looking at this problem. And he's a biological physicist. So he looks at things with a different lens, like a, a lens of a biologist. And he asked this fundamentally different question that no one has asked. And that is, Right now, this is a solved problem. Being the ability to, to measure molecules continuously in real time is being done right now in all of us in our bodies. So he said, how does the body do it? Because we've evolved to be able to do this. And the body does it through these proteins that change shape. So they call it conformational changing. And so that was his light bulb moment. And he thought, well, why don't we look at doing something similar? So instead of proteins, which are really complex, he, he used aptamers, which are basically just DNA sequences. And what he discovered was that aptamers can work almost identically to the way that the body works in terms of measuring molecular targets. Very, very specific, very sensitive. And then he went and tested it, that, that theory, and obviously there was years and years of research to, during this process. And eventually what he was able to achieve was demonstrating on body, which is the ultimate test that this works. And he, he developed 12 different sensors and demonstrated that 12 different sensors worked. And so that was uh, two years ago, we, we met up with Kevin and an opportunity arose where we could license that technology and we could see the opportunity very, very quickly. That you need a bit of luck sometimes in business. That was our moment where we just spoke to Kevin at the right time. And having said that, we flew from Melbourne to Santa Barbara twice. So we worked on it. It wasn't, it wasn't just a phone call. And now Kevin's here in Melbourne working with us. You know, he, he can see the, the vision and he believes in what we're doing and he want, wants to make this happen. And he's one of the world's leaders in biosensing. That's a huge commitment from him. But this is, this is a, we have a massive opportunity here. So, so on the end of that little microneedle array, we put these aptimus and that allows us to measure, well, now we, we measure one thing now, but, but we can do multi-analyte sensing. So on a patch, I mentioned there's, there's, you know, we can have whatever number of needles we, we like, but each one of those can be a different sensor. So the ability to have 5, 10, 12 different sensors streaming molecular data continuously becomes a real thing. And that's where we want to get to as a company is what we call a patch for every patient because we think mm -hmm. that there is utility and I mentioned triaging before, and that, that, that would be a, a great um, a source of information to effectively triage patients. 
if we can do enough high value molecular targets that warrant a patch for every patient, we think that that's a vision that is achievable and has merit. And that's what we're going to go after. But so essentially going back to your question, it's, it's the patches, those two technologies, and effectively they allow us to then measure using, using that platform, any molecular target. And then maybe Atesh, you can talk a bit more about where, how the data then goes from once we measure it, how it moves from there. It strikes me there are a couple fairly well-known examples of, of scientists who've hooked themselves up to a bunch of different sensors for continuous monitoring. I'm thinking of people like Michael Snyder at Stanford, who diagnosed, pre-diagnosed his own diabetes before it was a problem so he could make the right lifestyle adjustments. Um, Larry Smarr at UCSD who uh, kind of famously sequenced his own stool samples every two weeks for however long and created this huge longitudinal micro, microbiome portfolio. And what Larry showed the world is that it's not going to do any good if you go to the doctor once a year and have your microbiome sample because it's going to be different in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. The continuous, yeah. It's, it's the time series that's so, so essential for things like that. Yeah, spot on. And just, you know, on that, so this is exactly what led us down this pathway. You know, we, we looked at the advent of continuous glucose monitors, which was coming and the research that was coming out of that, like what you mentioned about Michael Snyder being able to diagnose his diabetes earlier. And it was amazing to see the impact this continuous monitoring approach could have for patients, for early diagnosis, for treatment, for prevention, and also for being able to manage patients in critical conditions, right? And the question that we started to ask ourselves is, well, why not measure anything apart from glucose? How do you measure anything other than glucose? And that's what led us to Kevin's technology. And as Peter mentioned, you know, it's not that it's a single shot technology, it is a true platform and it's been demonstrated 12 times. And so we don't think our vision of a patch for every patient is that far-fetched. It's, it's a reality. It's just about integration into a single coin-sized patch that is in a form factor that a user can wear. And it's about selecting the right targets on that patch, uh, which make clinical relevance, which have clinical relevance for the doctors, for the EDs, um, and for the um, treating physicians. So you know, what do you do when you start to get this kind of data? How do you actually put it in the hands of, of clinicians where it matters and turn it into actionable insights? And that comes to your second part of the question that you had, Raphael. So we're currently building the rest of the stack. You know, we've worked on the hardest problem first, which was the hardware and the sensors. And now we're getting good results on that. We're about to do our first in human studies and we're rapidly building out the stack. So the full stack would be, you know, digital first, cloud connected, so the data that we can get from these patches, we can stream into the cloud. You can turn on machine learning and AI technologies and analytics over it and turn it into real actionable insights for the clinicians. And over time, our plan is to integrate that into the EMR systems, into the health record systems. Uh, we're not there yet. We're building that. Um, currently, we do have it integrated to a mobile phone, so you can see it in your hand from the device. And over time, we'll build it for integration into the clinical workflow tools so doctors can see it, uh, pharmacists can see it, and nurses can see it in real time as well. It, it seems to me that there might even be some sort of direct-to-consumer play here eventually 
you've probably thought about that a lot more than I have. I'm just thinking about, I don't know, fitness performance and, and, you know, fertility measurements and like all sorts of things that someone, you don't need your doctor to tell you about. You might just want to know about yourself as being potential applications. That's really where we want to get to. I mean, we, we talk about, uh, you know, proactive healthcare. That's, that's what this is. This is, this is being Mm. proactive. This is measuring things so that problems like AKI and toxicity and uh, Mm. don't present themselves. So we're being very proactive with this technology where we really want to get to what what the world needs is prevention. That's the Mm -hmm. thing that we don't do well globally. You know, when we talk about lifestyle related chronic diseases that should be front page news <laughs> and it's not, you know, th- when you look at the numbers of people in the U S you know, 38% of the population have prediabetes of the adult population have prediabetes. It, it is an enormous number. Like mm. with yeah. 50% of the adult population have either diabetes or prediabetes. Prediabetes is a warning sign. And so, let me say, 90% of the people with prediabetes don't know they've got it, by the way. So these enormous numbers of people that are going down a path to a lifestyle-related chronic disease like type 2 diabetes that are, for the most part, going blind to it. And when they get to that destination, Typically, there's no going back. They're on a lifetime course of drugs. You have to increase those. They've got massive risks in terms of vascular issues, blindness, amputations. The the list just goes on and on and on. And it's preventable up to that point. There's arguably that's preventable once you have it. To, you can reverse it for, you know, like Verda and doing great work in that area too. But, but you, you've got a, you know, a serious uphill battle. So there's this window of opportunity to actually course correct before the disease presents. Now, we, we speak to a lot of endocrinologists and, 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 and a lot of different clinicians. And we, we ask them, we say, so what happens when someone's diagnosed with prediabetes? Now, there's two, one of two answers, either we wait for them to eventually get the disease and then we treat it insane or we tell them to eat less and exercise more, which is an insight to precisely zero people. Everyone knows that, right? That doesn't help anyone. So that's it. That's our system, right? And we've got some diabetes prevention programs, most of which a textbook base where you have to go into a certain location mm-hmm. and you learn about lifestyle, improving your lifestyle, which, you know, again, is, is totally inconvenient for most people. And, and, you know, less than one, 1% of the people with prediabetes actually have you do it. We just got a system that doesn't value prevention, right? So you hit the nail on the head, Raphael, where you see that as we see an opportunity in the, in the consumer space because that's where we need to get to. We need to be able to help people help themselves, help them identify, number one, in an easy way that they have an issue, right, with their metabolic health. And mm-hmm. number two, and this is most importantly, give them a tool that is better than eat less and exercise more. Real-time biofeedback has been shown in study after study to help behavior change. This is behavior change that we're, that we're targeting here. And that when people mm-hmm. know, when they can see, when I do X, Y happens, and I see that in real time, that promotes behavior change. 
the notion yeah. of just eating less and, and exercising more doesn't but doesn't do anything for anyone. So we can do both. We can we can help people personalize their diet and improve their glycemic control. That's one of the most important things we can do, right? So we can measure glucose and do that. But glucose is not the only molecular target you want to do there. You, there, are, there are triglycerides. There's, there's other things that you want to monitor. Sleep is another one. We can monitor sleep stages. That's what we're working mm-hmm. towards. Activity, stress. So there, there are a number of things that when you can start to measure things continuously in real time, you can feed this information back to individuals, right? And it's not just about throwing data at them. It's about being smart with the way, the insights that you provide, mm-hmm. providing in a, in a way mm-hmm. that is conducive to helping them to change behavior because that's ultimately what we're trying to do here. And we think if we can do that, and this is not our first step. This is down the road, right? Yeah. Our first step is medical applications, helping people mm-hmm. not die today, right? We want to get there where we can course correct and be a tool that will genuinely help identify and change behavior so that these lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are preventable, that we have a tool that people can use that are going to help them get off that path. And at any point, be like a map to know where are they? Are they on a, on? Are they close to diabetes? Are they far away? Are they got cardiac? Do they look like they're on the way to cardiovascular disease or, or something else? So this, mm-hmm. this is really where we want to get to. And that's what we're really passionate about. And we're very confident we're going to get there. We're working towards it. But that's where right. this goes from out, you know, the hospital wall, from patients to the general public. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things for a startup is also to consider timing. Is the product market fit right? Is the timing right? right? And in the medical market, it's a big need. It's a big pull. And, and the timing is right. Doctors are are asking for this information to treat their patients better in the setting of hospitals, but also beyond that, to be able to expand hospital at the home, to expand virtual sure, care outpatient monitoring and Exactly. Whereas, you know, in the consumer space, the demand is pent up, it's growing, but the market conditions we felt weren't yet ready to support pushing this out there. You know, the pool wasn't that strong yet, apart from glucose. Glucose monitoring is is really strong as a pool and that's emerging, but it's not the only target that matters. You know, you have to show the clinical efficacy of the other targets. You have to show the, the, the consensus around that. And you have to have the right market conditions to produce those products and, and launch that. And so that's what, as Peter said, you know, that was our origin. We originally started with a keen focus on health and well-being and prevention as a new paradigm in healthcare. And we know we'll get there. But it's not the first step for us. The first step for us is in an acute setting in helping these doctors to dose safely their patients in time-critical settings and making sure that they can get them better faster. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. You want to put the product where it's going to have the biggest impact for sure. One last question before we kind of wrap things up. I want to be respectful of your time. I know it's still early in the morning in Australia and, and getting late over here. This was a perfect segue from what you were just discussing, Hitesh. Walk us through a little bit what you see as sort of the regulatory roadmap, both in Australia, but also maybe other uh, other major markets that you're thinking you're going to want to put this in humans. And how does that map onto kind of other company milestones? 
Yeah, so right now we're working towards our first in human trials, which will be uh, mid this year. And then by next year, we'll have our target cohort, our sick cohort trials. And, and we've been engaged with the FDA through uh, some of the reimbursement and regulatory consultants in the US. And uh, we're planning to do a FDA submission for guidance later this year. So we know that most likely this will be a class two de novo pathway for us for the first product. There isn't this type of technology that's out there, but we're also not giving dosing recommendations. At this, at this stage, we're giving the information into the hands of the doctors, and they can make a more uh, informed dosing decision for the patients. So the likely path is going to be a class two de novo pathway for us from a regulatory perspective. Our focus right now is building and developing and validating this in Australia, and, and U.S. is our first market. So that's a, a big uh, market, obviously. And there's a large need in the US, which is why we'll be looking to launch here first. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to make sure I have you guys back on a year from now, we can talk about those first human trials. And I also at the, that time want to dig into uh, the data analytics part, which as you probably know, is a, a common theme on this show, um, just because it's a personal interest. And we like getting into the, the hypish waters of AI and ML and all that good stuff. Mm. Last questions, you guys can take them whatever turn you want. You know, what do you want the listeners, whomever the audience is, whether it's clinicians or patients or investors, whoever you think needs to hear it, what do you want them to take away from this conversation about uh, neutromics and where you guys are going? Yeah, uh, look, we're a company, we, we collaborate very broadly, it's in our DNA. So we work with multiple universities in the US and Australia, different organizations. If what we're doing resonates with you, we would encourage you to reach out to us. We're, you know, we're, we're actively looking to collaborate with hospitals and, and we've just closed around now in terms of investors, but we're we're talking to some major VCs for our next round in about 12, 18 months. And, and so, you know, if you're a VC in this space, um, definitely want to talk to you. Yeah, so, so, so I would say, you know, reach out to us. And um, the, the best way to do that is either jump on our website, there's a contact us, so neutromix.com.au or on LinkedIn, Hitesh or myself. I'm not sure if there's show notes. To, we'll um, we'll put all the links in the show notes for sure. So, yeah, so reach out and, and, and we really like talking to clinicians that um, whether you're in therapeutic drug monitoring or if you see an application for this technology that you think, you know, if I could continuously and in real time monitor X, gee, I think there, there is a great problem that we could solve in healthcare. Talk to us about that. You know, we talk about things like therapeutic drug monitoring where that everyone knows there's a problem and, and, and that's a low-hanging fruit. But we're also working, looking to, you know, and also actively scouting for other applications. And we will work with you if the idea has merit on, on these applications as well. So, so that's probably my message for anyone listening is to um, don't hesitate, reach out. One email can take uh, an idea to to an application that can save lives. I mean, that's all ideas start somewhere. So don't hesitate; just reach out. Yeah. So just echoing what what Peter said, you know, we're very mission driven as a company and and collaborate quite broadly. We know this these problems aren't going to be solved by one company or one hospital alone. It's it takes a village, right? And so. We're definitely in the immediate term as well, you know, adding to what Peter is saying, we are looking for early adopters. We're looking for hospitals in the US who would want to work with us on our later stage trials. We're looking to hire a chief medical officer 
and looking for the right fit for the company. If any of your listeners, our message resonates, what we're doing resonates, and want to be involved on the journey, definitely reach out to us. Wonderful. Thank you both. Well, we'll do our best to get the message out there. And I appreciate your time today. This is fascinating technology. I think it's really destined to save lives. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rafael. This has been episode 25 of Talking Precision Medicine. Please share it with your colleagues, leave a comment or review, and stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for joining the conversation.